that endureth to the end. He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. You may be seated. I know I'm not worthy of those comments that were made, but I appreciate, I'm grateful for God's goodness. If you could spiritually dust me for prints, if I could word it that way, you would find the handprints of many teachers, pastors, mentors, elders, saints of God, little children, big children, older saints, singers, evangelists, each one of us on our journey to live for God have been touched by so many. And for me to stand here and claim any part of that would be in such an error. But we stand on the shoulders of pioneers. We stand on the shoulders of Sunday school teachers. Sister uh, Melissa and I have been talking recently, and uh, over the years we have watched Sunday school teachers, thank you, Sunday school teachers and, and pastors desperately look for somebody to fill a position in a Sunday school class, and all that's fine and good, but realizing that it is more than just a babysitting service for those upstairs so they can hear the preached word of God. It's actually the incubator for the church of tomorrow. And in this church, we have 50 or so young people. And I will tell you that uh, just a few days ago, I was 18. It feels that way. I'm 56. And that's hard to say because it just went so quickly. And I'm so grateful for a good life. It's had its ups and downs. But I remember Sunday school teachers. I remember Sister Potter. Some of you may know who she is, an old-time woman preacher, imagine that, that preached the Word of God. She preached about the ark, how that they entered into the ark and they were saved. And as a five-year-old little boy, I went to an altar. That's why those, uh, and I'm going to be real uh, tonight as, as I normally try to be, For those of you that think the Holy Ghost is optional or that it is just, uh, you know, a 2 Corinthians 14 thing where it's a gift of the Spirit, you explain to me how a five-year-old, a six-year-old, will walk down to an altar and raise their hands and begin to speak in another tongue. No one's coached them. No one's told them what to say, what to do. No one was in my ear. I have 
stood and watched and kneeled by many young child, many, many young people, <clears throat> five, six, seven, eight years old, and watched the power of the Holy Ghost fall on them. And, and you want to tell me that that's optional? I'm here standing as a testimony against you and telling you, you better get on board because Jesus is coming. And if that spirit be not in you that dwelt in Christ Jesus, you're not going to be caught up. I, I, I know I'm making some uncomfortable, but I'm telling you, you have to have the Holy Ghost to make it to heaven. And I'd rather you get mad at me and hear the truth than us not say it because I want to make it to heaven. There is nothing worth my soul. Nothing. If, the man, if a man would gain the whole world and lose his own soul, what profit if him? Nothing. All that was free. You didn't pay for that. That was free. That was an extra bonus. Amen. First Peter 3.22. <clears throat> I may not have even given this scripture to, to the back. I apologize for that. But I, I do have a slide coming up here shortly. But if you turn in your Bibles, uh, and if you'd stand all over the building for God's word. First Peter, the third chapter, the 22nd verse. I'm sure they are quick and can find it. And if they don't, then find a Bible near you. Amen. Again, he that endureth to the end. That's not even a part of what I'm going to talk about tonight, but I came in this, in this service, and that was the, the, the scripture that was impressed so deeply in my heart. The good news about what potentially is going to happen with this assembly. <clears throat> I don't know if you all know this, the science of 80-20. How many are familiar with the science of 80-20? It basically says this, that 80% of the work is done by 20% of people. Top 20% of your organization is going to do 80% of the work. When a church or a facility becomes 80% full, people become comfortable. They start being satisfied. And so we're 80% full. Most of the time, we're more than that. And so I would hate that we would find some kind of ease in Zion and think, man, we have, we've got it. We've filled this church full of people, and God is saying, hold on. <clears throat> uh, Elijah, Elijah, I think, was saying, God, there's no one. There's no one. He was bellowing to God, moaning and groaning, and God said, hold on. There are 6,000 that still have not. There there are 6,000 that still have not given themselves over to idols. I can tell you without any doubt whatsoever that there is double, there is triple, there is quadruple the amount of people that could be in this church that that are on the very verge. The people that you all know in this church, this church is one of the most connected churches I have ever been in in 56 years. I'm telling you the truth. You all know so many people. 
And in Bible study, we're training and teaching Bible studies is they are not hard to do. I want to demystify Bible studies. If an introvert like me can sit down and babble through a book, you ought to heard me the first couple of times I tried to teach a Bible study. I'm not the most eloquent. This, this man is eloquent. He can flow. I get in my head sometimes, and I get all choppy and floppy. I'm better as a teacher most days uh, than, I am, than I am a preacher. But if you can learn to sit down across from someone, and the materials that we're buying for everybody is just read it. Read it with compassion with desire, and with a burden, God will build this church through you. No doubt. No doubt at all. Say, what if they ask me a question you don't know? I still get asked questions. I don't have any clue. You know what the answer is? I don't know. I can look it up for you, but I don't know. There's nothing wrong with not knowing somebody's answer or somebody's question. Anyway, that's all absolutely free. That was another bonus. 1 Peter 3.22 says this. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, the angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. One more time. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. You may be seated. One of the challenges of reading the word of God is that there are times the word of God is literal. It's extremely literal. But there are times that it's literal and metaphoric. There are times that one scripture can have multiple applications. There are times when you need to consider when it was written, who it was written to, who the audience is, and what the initial intent. If you go into Hebrew, which I am not a Hebrew scholar, I know a few Hebrew words, and I also know uh, that I like kosher food, and that's about the extent of my Jewishness. But when you look at Hebrew words, it's, it's, a, it's not only a, uh, a language of the Hebrew alphabet, but each letter or each symbol in Hebrew is also a pictogram. So... In our language, an A is an A is an A. But I'll give you an example. In Hebrew, if A was a pictogram, it could stand for maybe a house or maybe a concept like freedom. And so even when you dig into the word of God in the Hebrew, you will find that there are layers Often, we as children of God, we look at Scripture, and the world was talking to my daughter who's in Norfolk, and uh, she was raised in the truth. She was in Bible quizzing, and she still carries rudimentary elements of this, and I, and I believe that the Word of God will, 
will blossom in her life at some point by faith. And she was arguing with me about how many times in history that in the name of the Lord or in the name of God that people were killed and countries were overthrown and there was such murder and mayhem all through Christianity. And I responded to her, I said, you know, I said, there's a world that actually believes that. But I can show you, if you want to take some time, that there was no true child of God that ever participated in anything like that. There was no true child of God that was a crusader killing Muslims over his faith. There were no Christians that truly believed the word of God that were overthrowing governments. The Bible tells us uh, and shows us a great example. Jesus was born at the wrong time in the wrong town to the wrong parents. I mean, there's 11 things that were wrong about his birth, but yet this son of God, this man, changed the entire direction of this world. He was raised under Roman occupation, but he was not there to overthrow the Roman government as the children of Israel thought he was going to do. And that's why they got so confused because at the end, that's not what he was there for. And so we look at scripture from time to time and we look at the metaphors in God's word and we get lost because there are times the Bible tells us that, that we are to study to show ourselves approved. I, I will tell you that in uh, the fear of God, that I can say boldly that if you don't study and read the word of God, I'm not sure how you can be saved. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. Now, that does not say that the word of the Lord is coming from my mouth to you and thus you are saved. It doesn't say that. It says that you're to study to be approved, to show thyself approved. A workman needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's your responsibility. I tell every person in my Bible studies that, I've, that I have taught over the last five years, if me or any other person come to you, and they teach you something that is not in the word of God, run the other way. I can say this now with confidence. If this church ever preaches a doctrine that's not in the book, go to another church. Now I have confidence and faith in this man. I have confidence and faith in the, in the ministers of this church under our pastor's leadership that we're not going to preach false doctrine. But if it ever happens, you need to be wise and aware so that you don't sit there and drink the purple Kool-Aid. You know how many people are sitting in churches today that are drinking the purple Kool-Aid and they excuse all of their behaviors and all of their misfortunes and all of their belief systems because, well, I'm getting it from him and thus it must be true. We, we criticize Churches over the centuries that believed one grand man that was in control, we criticize them, but that yet there are denominal churches. There are even some Pentecostal churches today 
that instead of searching the scriptures, instead of digging into the word of God, they just sit on a pew and listen and they don't dig, search, find. Bible says that ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. You know how I memorized that? A-S-K. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. I can tell you lots of little tricks that you can learn to memorize the word of God. You say, Brother Paul, I don't know how to memorize. I can't memorize. You know what? Anybody can memorize. It just takes diligence and patience and focus. If you're trying to memorize God's word in front of the television or your latest binge watch of the Housewives of Orange County, you're not going to get very far in your scripture memorization. So this scripture is a great one. Who has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God. What does it mean to be at the right hand? I've got some names for you. Some of these you may think comical, but I'd like you to listen to these names and tell me what they have in common. Chewbacca, Samwise Ganji, Donkey, Genie, R2-D2, Hermione Granger, Gandalf, Buzz Lightyear, Spock, Alfred Pennyworth, Snoopy, Ellis Boyd Red Redding. Some of you guys should know who that is. Dr. Watson. Dory. Wilson. Robert. Robin. Tonto. Woodstock. Gromit. C-3PO. Olaf. Scarecrow. L.T. J.G., Nick, Goose, Bradshaw. Some of you men need to know that. Mater, Lois Lane. Anybody know what those all had in common? They were sidekicks. They were right-hand men and women. They weren't the guy in charge, but they were the faithful sidekick. They weren't the major character. They were not the major antagonist of the story uh, or the protagonist, but they were involved in the story, usually providing comic relief or silently in the background doing much or most of the work. I began to take a gander through history over the last couple of weeks, and I, I taught this sermon, preached this sermon years ago, and there are many many men that we can look at over the years and time does not allow to go into them. But they were the second man. They were uh, years ago uh, in uh, the Apostolic Church uh, in the UPC, there used to be second man conferences and it was for uh, laity, it was for assistant pastors, it was for ministers in the church for them to realize the importance of when the apostle says, appoint deacons to minister to the needs of the church so that we as the ministerial body can 
give ourselves to prayer and fasting because there is such a spiritual dominion that is coming against the church, especially in this day and hour, that we need to, it's not that we're too good to wait on tables, but let's give that to someone else so that we can focus on truly digging and searching out what thus saith the Lord to the people of God. And that's where the right-hand man comes into play. The right-hand man has been delegated authority. He has been given authority by God. Jesus, Stephen, when he was being stoned, again, a type and shadow or a metaphor that Trinitarians use from time to time is that when Stephen looked up into heaven, he saw Jesus sitting on the right hand of God. And those that want to look for a second or a third person in the, in the Trinitarian doctrine say, aha, I got you there, buddy. There's God and there's Jesus sitting on the right hand of God. Well, if that's the case, then Paul has uh, created a problem for us because when he looked into heaven, he saw one who sat on the throne. What happened to Jesus? Where did he go? Did he slip behind so he couldn't be seen? Or was he busy doing something else? The Bible says there are three that bear record in heaven. Every day, every Jewish boy, every Jewish girl, every Jewish man, every Jewish woman, uh, they quoted the Shema, which was Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. But when we come to the New Testament, suddenly the Trinity comes around. It doesn't make any sense. That's because God knew when he was talking to a Jewish audience that they understood the metaphor of what it means to be the right hand of something. It's where the power and the authority, the delegated transmission of God's word and his power and his purpose is given to us. The church is in the stead of God. God is not present on this earth in bodily form anymore. He has left us as his physical body to do the work and the ministry of God, to knock on doors. To, uh, the Bible tells us what pure religion. The Bible says in Jude, it says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. And, and, the, and the God, the, pure religion before God and, and the Father is this, that we are to keep, that we are to, now my quota ran out. Um, we are meant to minister to uh, the fatherless and the widows and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. That's what pure religion is, servanthood. When you know a church is truly tapped into God's purpose, they're going to minister to the fatherless and the widow and keep themselves unspotted from the world. So here we have this metaphor of the right hand of God. And I want to talk to you just a little bit about that. Isaiah 41 and 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That right hand is the hand that we see moving in this church. It is the hand that is working up 
if, if you meant it literally, there is a meeting I'm, uh, either now or it's going to happen where uh, the, 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 the future of that building and this church is being decided. Those are things we can see. We are watching people come to this altar and be filled with the Holy Ghost. We are seeing people that are learning to pray with people until they receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, which, by the way, is one of the most precious things you'll ever do. You get up here and you get around somebody that's tearing for the Holy Ghost. Hang out for a while. Be there with them. Pray there with them. Keep it simple. Just begin to worship and create that atmosphere of praise around them. And we see the right hand of God putting his authority and power on people's lives. Bible studies, just two or three weeks along, and we're hearing reports from people that we are working with in, a, in the Bible study. And it's not us. It's his word that's growing and coming to fruition in their life. There's peace in our home. We're not arguing as much anymore. Our children are behaving better. You know why the children are behaving better? It's because those undisciplined parents are learning how to put their foot down and say, I'm not your buddy. I'm here to help discipline you in the word of God. It's amazing how that worked, how that works. I tell today I I taught for over three hours, so I'm kind of fervored up in a teachy mood. And so I told him today, you you know, you've got to be careful how you talk to your children because When you talk to your children, just remember that will be their adult inner voice. Let me say that again. How you talk to your children will be their adult inner voice. How many of you can just silently or just think about this for a moment, some of the self-criticalness, some of the negativity that runs through your head on on a repeat loop could possibly be from a parent that at times in your life was negative and was critical and you could never measure up to. you got to be careful that you don't pass that along to your children by passing that criticalness, that negativity, because when they get older, that voice is going to spin around in their head just like it does yours. And for those that will give me a witness, that's not a fun voice to hear all the time. You're not good enough. You're not fast enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not talented enough. It goes on and on and on. That's why we have to be careful. But that's what we're seeing in God's word as it brings into fruition. It's that right-hand power of God that's being manifested. We're hearing about people being healed. uh, At ladies' conference, a young boy, I believe, was brought from the dead to life. That's the right hand of God manifesting his power in the church today. I'm so grateful that we can see it. I'm so grateful that we know it. Acts 5 and 31 says, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And so the right hand of God is going to show this church repentance, forgiveness of sins, water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, people speaking in other tongues. Got a phone call the other day. Here was the comment. I've come to church, got baptized, I've got filled with the Holy Ghost, and I've got trouble in my life. What's going wrong? What am I doing wrong? I said, you know what? 
welcome to humanity. Well, then what's the Holy Ghost for? I'll tell you what it's for. It doesn't get rid of your problems. Let me say that again. It doesn't get rid of your problems. It rains on the just and the unjust. We have to watch sin play out, and sometimes we're victims of sin. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible talks about there are curses that are on us because of the nation we live in. There are generational curses that could come from fathers. Sins of the father pass to the second and third generation. Sometimes we are cursed by, we're already under the curse of Adam, which is men have to work under the sweat of their brow. Women have to give birth. The, uh, the, the field will not get up, give up its seed unless we toil it, unless we work on it. There's disease. He, 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 uh, he cursed nature. We have disease. We have viruses. We have bacteria. We have COVID. We live under the world that was cursed by God because of one man's sin. Death entered into the world. But through all that, we can see more plainly than ever the right hand of God moving in our midst. And we rejoice because never before in my life, and I truly mean that, uh, Melissa and I talk about this all the time, is I know people, and pastor is probably the biggest one I've heard, you know, man, I got to... I got to learn this and I got to get this together. And I'm like, you know what? I know this church has problems because there's people in here, right? We want to get rid of the problems and you all have to leave. I'll be the first that has to go, right? You don't have perfect churches. You have a perfect God that helps us grow into the knowledge and grace of Jesus Christ. And whenever you see that word perfect in the Bible, you need to replace it with the word whole. God never told us we had to be perfect. He asked us to learn to be whole in him. But as we grow in this church, we're going to see God manifest his glory, his gifts, his power in this church. And that's just such a beautiful thing. That right hand of God, God wants to put his authority in your life. But you have to choose to place yourself into that place of authority. It's all a choice. You know what? After all of this, I've talked about the right hand of God and the power of God and all the wonderful things that he can do. There was one day I was studying about the, uh, the right hand of God and I thought, what's his left hand do? Let me see if I can find something. I found Solomon 2 and 6. It says, his left hand is under my head. And his right hand doth embrace me. Solomon 2 and 6. His left hand is under my head. And his right hand doth embrace me. Tonight, I brought it all to this. I want to talk about the left hand of God. What does God's left hand do? 
I first want to take you to Exodus 19 and 9. Moses went up into the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. And the Bible says something really interesting. Exodus 19 and 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear what I speak unto thee, and believe thee forever. Moses told the words of the Lord, of the, of the people unto the Lord. If you look at the creation um, story in the book of Genesis, you'll notice that God created the earth and it was without form and for a void. And what does it say? And darkness covered the deep. The earth existed in space in darkness before there was light. So if God created the earth and it was in darkness, where does God dwell? He dwells in darkness. You say, well, what does that mean? There was a book written by C.S. Lewis. It was called The Horse and His Boy. And there's a section of this book that I'd like to read to you. And again, this is a metaphor. And being very tired and having nothing inside him, Shasta felt so sorry for himself that the tears rolled down his cheeks. What put a stop to all this was a sudden fright. Shasta discovered that someone or somebody was walking beside him. It was pitch dark. He could see nothing. And the thing or person was going so quietly that he could hardly hear his footfall. Cool tune. (laughs) The thing unless it was a person, went on beside him so very quietly that Shasta began to hope that he had only imagined it. So he went on at a walking pace, and the unseen companion walked and breathed beside him. And last, he could bear it no longer. Who are you? He said, barely above a whisper. A whisper. Here was the answer from the thing. One who has waited long for you to speak. Its voice was not loud, but very large and deep. The boy in this story is lost, and his mysterious companion is, of course, Aslan. And for those of you that know C.S. Lewis, he wrote a story about Aslan, who was a magnificent lion. And this lion went by the name of Hail King above all kings. C.S. Lewis wrote a, a fictional story that was based on the allegory that Aslan was Jesus Christ, the king of all kings. And in the darkest of times, it was Aslan, the lion, who was simply waiting for the boy to speak so that Aslan could comfort him. Now, I want to ask you a question. We know full well about the right hand of God. We've heard about it. Most of you that were raised in a church have heard about God's right hand most of your walk with God. But tonight, I want to 
just introduce to you. There's a left hand, but it works in darkness. Solomon says that his left hand held the back of my head. I could not see what he was doing. There are times in our walk with God that we're looking for the left hand of uh, the right hand of God, excuse me. We're looking for that left hand of God working in our lives. We're, we're straining to see it. We're almost to the point where we demand for God to show him his, show us his mighty works and, and that right hand working in magnificent. And we forget that God has two hands. One of them works in visibility. One of them works in demonstration of God's power and his might. But his left hand works in secret. It's working behind the scenes in your life. It is preparing the way before you in ways that you do not know. I believe in some metaphoric way when God tells us that when we speak in tongues that the Holy Ghost groaneth in an unknown language and utters things that we do not know and makes intercession for us in prayer and interception with us between God in ways that we don't even know how to pray. If you've ever written... uh, um, read the book that is by, now I forgot his name. Somebody help me. Uh, he, 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 uh, he wrote the book about angels. Uh, that, uh, huh? Frank Peretti, yes. Uh, one of his books, in fact, several of his books, he wrote about what if we could see the angelic world around us. And he actually gives those angels names, uh, Piercing the Darkness, I think. And so in piercing the darkness, we know the names of the angels and we know what they're doing behind the scenes. And we know that they come together as the church begins to pray and they amass around the children of God. And they begin working against principalities and powers and dominions in that town as the people of God represent themselves before the Lord as people of faith and people that pray and humble themselves before God. We don't see any of that. I believe I have felt the presence of angels before in my life. I believe I have, but I have never seen that in my life. But with my whole heart, I believe it. I believe in the presence of God. For those of you that deny the Holy Ghost is a manifested presence of God that needs to be in our hearts and lives, I'll tell you that I'm going to stand here in front of you with humility and say, you got to tell me what I feel. You got to tell me what comes over my life. You got to tell me what comes into my heart. You got to tell me what it is. You got to tell me what it is because it's more than just emotion. It's more than just me getting lathered up in a service. It's more than just me being exuberant. It's a power that I can't explain. It's a power that until you receive it, you can't understand what I'm talking about. Some of you are tearing for the Holy Ghost and you're making it more difficult than it is. It's not because we deserve it. It never is. I being the chiefest of sinners, Paul said, and Paul said, we come into his presence and we lift our hands and God tells us that the gift of his spirit is free to us. 
We just have to be willing to sacrifice ourselves and submit to something that does not seem to make sense. Why would God take hold of this tongue and make me speak in something that sounds like gibberish? Is it Titus or Timothy that talks about the rudder of the ship? Three, Timothy 3 talks about how the rudder of a ship is so small, but yet it can turn a Titanic. If God has control of this thing, it'll change your life. Sister Melissa and I, God gave her a word from the Lord. The Lord has been moving in us in, in ways that we, it's because of this man. Uh, and because of the freedom that he has allowed the Holy Ghost to work in our lives. But she wrote a letter to a pastor out of the state. She wrote some words on a paper and spoke to one of the assistants of the church that she's a part of. They, she, long story short, it was read in one of their staff meetings, and they had just talked about this thing. Um, the day before. Their church is being torn apart by silly women. That's God's word. That's not me. By silly women going from house to house, carrying tales, carrying gossip, destroying the people of God, gossiping, talking, blowing God's house apart. You look at things, six things that God doth hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look. Feet that are swift to mischief. A lying tongue. We think God hates some things in this world, and he does hate sin. I'm not minimizing that. But the things that we call abominable, God says, I hate. I despise a proud look. I despise someone that sows discord among the brethren. Do you realize God calls that an abomination? And we are comfortable sometimes. And the only reason I'm talking about this is because I want God's right hand to work in this church. But I also want his left hand to work in your life. And God is not going to be pleased and he's not going to work here when we're gossiping and complaining and griping and tearing God's man down. Of course, everyone in this church is going to make mistakes and falter. And if you have a a higher expectation than that, then you need to go somewhere else and find that perfect church that will accept you. You're going to look for a long time. It doesn't exist. How shall men know that you are my disciples? Because of your love one toward another. You know why that's so powerful? Is because I know who you are. I know some of you and some of your nonsense and chaos. And some of you know my nonsense and chaos. And we can still come in here and love one another. That we can overlook our faults. That ye which are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself lest thou also be tempted. That's the power of the left hand allowing that right hand to work. The Bible says he's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. 
He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament sheweth his handiwork. No means of measure can divine his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. We just sent the James Webb telescope out, a billion, trillion dollar thing that's trying to look at the creation of the universe. And you know what they're going to find? They're going to find a God staring back at them. Honestly, what they're going to find is more questions and more things that human imagination cannot comprehend. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the loftiest idea of lit- in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme poly- uh, problem in higher criticism. He's a fundamental doctrine in true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. He's my king. He's the miracle of the ages. He's the superlative of everything good that you shall choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the leopard. He he heals the sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the ages. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. How does he do it? His left hand is working in ways you cannot see. His ways are above our ways. And when we start doubting that we don't see God's right hand because the miracles have died down, you just remember that back here there is a hand that we cannot see that's working all things for my good, that is allowing me to walk in his righteousness, that's preparing a woman for me in the future that I know not who, that's got a plan for my life, that he knows my steps, he orders my steps, he knows every which way that I go, which way that I turn. He knows my down sittings and my uprisings. His left hand gives me power and strength for the day, but his, but his, his right hand gives me power and strength for the day, but his left hand, it guides me. It takes cancer away from my body when I have no idea that it's there. It lays somebody's uh, heart upon my life so that they can pray for me, that God can spare me from a wreck that would have broke my neck, that would have taken my life, that would have paralyzed me for the rest of my life. God has mercy upon me. I had a mechanic look at the pictures of my car today and said, if you weren't in a Honda, you could have potentially broke your neck. 
I had airbags that I didn't even know popped out of places come out and surround me with loving kindness. No, they beat me to death, but they kept me alive. I'm still sore. I still carry the marks of the sacrifice of those airbags in my body. For that, I'm grateful. That was God's left hand that manifested its right hand when it blew out in front of me and kept me from breaking my neck. There were angels encamped around me. Not because I deserved them, because I have faith and trust in a God whom I can see. But I also believe in all the works that he does that I cannot see. Because what he does in darkness is more in my belief, in my opinion, and by what I see than what he does in the light. And don't you forget that God is working. When we get to the point when we can't get up every day, I tell addicts every day, get up and begin to write down everything that you're grateful and thankful for. Why? Because a pity party, depression, anxiety really struggles when you begin to write the things down in your life that you are grateful for, that you are thankful for. The next time you want to gripe, you stop right where you are and say, I'm thankful for my pastor. I'm thankful for the saints of God. I'm thankful for the body of Christ. I'm thankful for seven people that have been filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful for people that have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for babies that have been brought to life that were dead. I'm thankful that God has relieved people from their addiction and has brought them into liberty in the church. I'm thankful for people that are realizing that the Holy Ghost is real, that God can change your life, that he can change your marriage, that he, he can open doors that you don't even know can be opened. That's the left hand of God that is working all things for my good. Hallelujah. Help me, I'll probably forget it when I start it. But he works when I can't see him, he's working. When I can't hear him, he's working. When I don't know he's working, he's working. When I don't believe it, he's working. He's working behind the scenes. He's creating my path. He orders my path. The steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. Why? Because God is a lamp unto my feet. You know why he's a lamp unto my feet? It's because before he's the lamp unto my feet, he's the God that sees in the darkness before me. Hallelujah. God isn't scared. He's not scared of the darkness because he dwells in darkness. The next time you think you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, just remember that God dwells in thick darkness and he was in there before you were. You don't need to be scared. Just realize You may not see it, but that left hand is in there. It's guiding. It's blessing. It's leading. It's moving. It's touching board members and towns members. It's telling them to do what God wants them to do. It's moving people's opinions. It's opening doors. 
It's telling a man to give us super low interest so that we can afford this and not pay stuff out of the wazoo. Can you say wazoo from the platform? Tread lightly. That's the left hand of God. And right now, I want you to just close your eyes. What do you see when you close your eyes? You see some darkness. That's how close God is to you. Often we, we want to open our eyes and see where God is, but close them and know where he is. He's in thick darkness. He's in the middle of your life. He's behind you. You know, the only way he can hold the back of your head and embrace you with his arm, that's a very vulnerable position that you have to humble yourself to put yourself into. And if you're full of pride and indifference, you're not going to allow God to put his hand behind your head. That's a very intimate position and, and to cradle you with his other. Humility, brokenness, knowing that you don't have all the answers, knowing that there is a possibility that you're wrong and that you're willing to let God through the multitude of counselors to guide you so that you don't miss what the left hand of God is trying to do. Elijah, moaning and groaning, where are you, God? And God said, I'm the still, small voice. I'm the cloud the size of a man's hand. I'm the hand you cannot see, holding your neck, the most vulnerable part of your body. Somebody was in my van holding my neck. It was the left hand of God because I didn't see it. But I'm here today, proof that it was there. As we stand together, his promises are sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is sufficient. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He's indescribable. He's indestructible. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. He's my king, and he works all things for my good. I'm so glad I know him. I don't know why he chose me. I don't know why he found me. I don't know why he gave me the Holy Ghost when I was five. I don't know why he's put up with all my stuff over 56 years, but I'm very grateful that he has because I truly believe with my understanding and it's limited, I will confess. But what, what I know about the end time, we're not just saying this because 
you know, we've always said it. But as far as I can tell, every prophetic thing before the rapture that was foretold in Scripture has happened. No man knoweth the day nor the hour, that is true. But as watchmen on the wall, we will be aware of the time and the season. COVID, I don't know if you know this, but he that rules, he that owns the gold rules the world, right? During COVID, 80% of the world's wealth changed hands. 80%. It didn't come to mind. I don't believe it came to any of you. Who are the men and women on this earth that are holding all that gold? Not one that I know of that is bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying they're all bad. That's not true. I'm just saying there are enough of them that are gullible and pliable and usable in the hands of the adversary that it's not going to be too long before you see this thing rapidly escalate. If 80% of the world's wealth could change hands in a year and a half, what's next? And I love what the Word of God has to say. We don't say these things to scare anybody. The Bible says, when you see all these things, look up. Everybody look up. When we pray in the altar with people, a lot of times I'll, I'll mention to people, hey, can you lift your head up? You know why I do that? Because this is what shame looks like. And in this altar, there's no need for shame. I know you've done things in your life you're not proud of. So have we all. I know you've done it repeatedly even after you know it's wrong. So have we all. But there's a God up at this altar that's ready and able to forgive you. It's you that has to let go of the shame. God can't do that for you. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. So as they sing this song, I'd like everyone just to come to the altar or stand and find a place, uh, a prayer, and just ask God's left hand. Ask him to teach you to be patient. I can't see him, but he's working. I can't feel him, but he's working. I don't know what he's doing, but he's working. He's working all things for my good. Would you come as we sing?